Srimati Bhaktivedanta Swami Nityanamani Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pacharani Nirvasesa Sindhavadi Bhaskachari Satani Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Tanapadakamam Shri Guru Vaishnavamstra Shri Rupam Sarakujatam Sahagana Ravinatam Vitamistam Sajiva Sadvaitam Sadvaduktam Gurijana Sahita Kushachetani Deva Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sadhana Radhita Shri Vishakam Padam Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Devotion. 
what part of the verse is Shiva Prabhupada commenting on? What words in the verse? Jnana. And so, that the devotees have jnana. Devotees are not devoid of knowledge. So he's saying that sometimes people say, for example, who? The Mayavites, such as Prakasan and that the devotees don't have any knowledge. They're just sentimentalists. They're just, and we find such people in every religion. Oh, I love Jesus, right? Or, oh, yes, I love Krishna. So we find these sentimental people that talk about love of God and talk about spirituality, but there's not really much basis to it. It's just material emotion. So first, Shiva Prabhupada's making the point. He says there are very, very learned scholars who have put forward the philosophy of devotion. So what's his first countering of this argument? That there, that some devotees, some bhakti yogis, are very great philosophers. So. This is what's called a counterexample. If I say all dogs are vicious, and you say, no, I know some very nice dog. So that defeats the argument. So if you say all devotees are sentimentalists, no, they are. And Prabhupada's saying here, very, very learned scholars, more than one. So who are some of these very, very learned scholars? Sanatan. Jiva Goswami, who's recognized even by the impersonalists as a very great scholar. Who else? Rupa Goswami. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Of course, he uh, didn't, only wrote eight verses. Gopalvata Goswami. Bhugar. Bhugar Goswami. Srinivasacharya Nautum Dastakur. Others? Right? I mean, if you go out of the Gaudiya line, Ramanujacharya, Madhvacharya. Sankaracharya is not bhakta. So we're looking within the... Who put forward, he says there are very, very learned scholars who put forward the philosophy of devotion. So many, and many of these scholars are recognized even by Mayavadis or by non-devotees. So if you go to a university, just a regular secular university, they may recognize some of the works of Jiva Goswami or Ramani Chacharya or Baladeva Jibhushana. Sridhar Swami. Okay, now Srila Prabhupada is going to make another point, not about the great, not about the devotees who are great scholars. And it's interesting because he makes a very similar point in the previous purport. He says, but even if a devotee does not take advantage of their literatures or of his spiritual master. So let's say that you don't bother to read any of these literatures. You don't read Rupa Goswami's literatures. You don't read Baladeva Jibhushan's literatures. You don't read anybody's literatures. And you don't even take advantage. What does this mean to take advantage of your spiritual master? What does Prabhupada mean by that? So one's not asking questions or doing service. I think, especially not asking questions, are not hearing from, because this is in the context of knowledge. So one's not asking, or one's asking nonsensical questions. Prabhupada said, blind following and absurd inquiries are condemned. Right? So there's also nonsensical questions. What color sock should I buy? Or... People ask such questions of their guru, by the way. They actually do that. Or one time, uh, some guest asked Srila Prabhupada, have you ever seen the demigods? I said, why are you asking this question? He said, what will be your profit? He said, if I say, yes, I have seen them, what will you gain? If I say, no, I have not seen them, what will you lose? So why are you asking this question? This is a nonsensical question. So we're not asking questions about the ultimate goal, or not hearing from their spiritual master, not attending their spiritual master's classes, not getting instruction from them personally, or maybe hearing, but not obeying, not following, right? So there's, you know, oh, Gurudev, 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 I'm at Gurudev's lotus feet for every class, and I'm soaking in every word, but I don't listen to anything. 
Okay? Especially if I get a personal instruction I don't like, then forget it. So here, and Prophet said something also in the previous book, were very similar. A person may have a bona fide spiritual master and may be attached to a spiritual organization, but still if he's not intelligent enough to make progress. So he made a very similar point, that it's possible, and certainly maybe this even applies to ourselves, but we certainly know people who don't read much. You know, I know people who've been in the Hare Krishna movement for 10, 20, 30 years, and they've never read one of Prabhupada's books from cover to cover. You know, you know this, you know people like that, or they don't take much advantage of their spiritual master. But even if a devotee does not take advantage of their literatures or of his spiritual master, if he is sincere in his devotional service, he is helped by Krishna himself within the heart. So there's a very interesting implication here. What's Prabhupada implying here? That one can be sincere in your devotional service even if you don't take advantage of the literatures of the Vaishnava scholars or even of your spiritual master. Interesting. So how could any ideas about how somebody who's not taking advantage of the Vaishnava literatures or of their spiritual master could still be sincere in their devotional service? Hmm? Well, Krishna gives such a person mercy. So doing your service. Okay. He may be sincere, but he's not serious. Sincere, but not serious. So you're differentiating between sincere and... What do we mean by sincere? What's proper mean here? What would such a sincere devotee look like? What would they what would they be doing that would show that they were sincere? They'd be offering some service. Anything else? Can they be illiterate? Can they be what? Illiterate? Um I suppose. Although Shiva Prabhupada doesn't seem to be implying here that it's due to some sort of um, external handicap, although I suppose you could always become different. If you don't take advantage of, that it seems to imply that you have the capacity to take advantage of. He's not saying here, if circumstantially they cannot read the literature or associate with the guru, he's saying they don't take advantage of. People who are ill. Huh? People who are ill don't have the capacity. People who are ill may not have the capacity. The literature or ill. I'm not sure if she I mean, it's possible that Prabhupada's referring here to that. That's possible. Any other ideas about what Shiva Prabhupada means here by sincere? Because generally we think if someone's sincere, they'll be studying the books and they'll be hearing from their guru and following their guru. Yes? Somehow the circumstance doesn't allow them to do the other two things. Okay, so so far everyone's suggested things that were circumstantial. They're illiterate, Mm -hmm. they're sick, maybe their family is preventing them. I, I know one woman whose husband is so opposed to her taking up Krishna consciousness that he's always preventing her from going to the temple or doing some service. So that could be. Could be something other than external circumstances. And I, I think about chapter uh, 3, text 31, where Prabhupada says... Um, an ordinary man with firm faith in the eternal injunctions of the Lord, even though unable to execute such orders, becomes liberated from the bondage of the law of karma. This is 331. In the beginning of Krishna consciousness, one may not fully discharge the injunctions of the Lord, but because one is not resentful of this principle and works sincerely, again we have this word sincerely, and works sincerely without consideration of defeat and hopelessness, he will surely be promoted to the stage of pure Krishna consciousness. So here Srila Prabhupada's talking about somebody that may not be circumstantial, they may be a beginner, and they find themselves, they feel unable, uh, or he says, uh, even though unable to execute, or one may not fully discharge the injunctions of the Lord. So a beginner who, for whatever reason, due to some 
Could it be just due to some internal weakness, some attachments? Yeah. The person's very attached. Maybe they're literate, maybe they have, maybe they're healthy, but maybe they're just attached to something. But still they're doing some sincere service. We can also refer to chapter 12 for some more guidance on this. This is a very important part of the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 12, text 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, where Krishna tells Arjuna, think of me with love. If you can't do that, follow sadhana bhakti. And then in text 10, he said, if you can't practice sadhana bhakti, then just try to work for me. And if we also just look at the previous verse, where Prabhupada is talking about the same point, a person may have a bona fide spiritual master, may be attached to a spiritual organization. He says, the qualification, here I see the Shila Prabhupada's defining sincerity. The qualification is that a person always engage himself in Krishna consciousness and with love and devotion render all kinds of services. He should perform some sort of work for Krishna and that work should be with love. So I'm saying that Shiva Prabhupada is emphasizing that a person be Krishna conscious, be thinking about Krishna, not just working like some higher person who's just thinking about money and when they're going to smoke their cigarette or something like that. But to do some, some practical service for Krishna with some love and with some consciousness of Krishna. So Shiva Prabhupada is seeming, and we could probably discuss this for a few weeks, but it appears that Shiva Prabhupada is defining that as the bottom line of sincerity. So even if you're not following everything, that at least if you're working for Krishna with love. And in this context, we're talking about knowledge. Because the main way that one would get knowledge would be to hear from a teacher, which means that you'd either be listening to your guru or you'd be reading the books. And that would be, even on a material level, that's the main way to get knowledge. And Prabhupada says, even if you're not doing that, if you're, if you're a sincere devotee, you're doing some work with love, then what? So let's finish reading the sentence. But even if a devotee does not take advantage of their literatures or of his spiritual master, if he is sincere in his devotional service, he is helped by Krishna himself within his heart. So sincere in his devotional service. So we have service, meaning there's activity, devotion, meaning it has some love, and sincere, I would understand this meaning. You're actually thinking about Krishna. You're thinking about the person to whom you're offering it. You're not just working mechanically. So the sincere devotee, and Prabhupada uses this word sincere, engaging Krishna consciousness cannot be without knowledge. So Prabhupada is going back to this, defeating this argument that the devotees are sentimentalists. And his first defeat is that there are many great scholars. And then his next defeat, you may say, but wait a minute. We see some people, devotees, who are not scholars. I, I remember once at uh, Vyas Puja celebration, the devotees were at one particular temple where it was, the devotees were all getting up and speaking their appreciations for Shiva Prabhupada. And there was one devotee who was a plumber, electrician, by trade. And he got up and he said, I like Krishna consciousness because it's just so much fun. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Uh, so I see the Prabhupada's also referring to people like that. But he's saying, he cannot be without knowledge. Then Prabhupada goes on to say, the only qualification is that one carry out devotional service in full Krishna consciousness. So I'm seeing there's this real emphasis throughout Prabhupada's purpose, throughout the verses of con what's, what's our consciousness. So that's your only qualification. Of course, is Srila Prabhupada here giving us an excuse not to read the books? Should we all stop our body and read a class? And... Is that the point? Just have fun. Just have fun. Is that the point? Just, okay, everybody, let's stop the class. Let's just do some sincere service, and Krishna will give us knowledge within our heart. Well, why not? What's your counter-argument? Because in the other verse, he's saying that 
the accepting the devotional principles and hearing and chanting is one of the very prime principles. Okay, so hearing and chanting is a prime principle. So even if you can't, you can't do it, he accepts that's part of the process. But that's a part of the process. Other thoughts? Why we should continue right now studying Bhagavad Gita and not just go out and do some sincere service and focus on consciousness? Forget about all the books. Because part of it says he should perform devotional service and full Christian consciousness. Reading books is an act of devotional service. Okay. Of course, this is in this statement is in relation to people who aren't reading the books. Why should we include reading the books and hearing from Shiva Prabhupada and other authorities? How will we get that full Krishna consciousness to the service? But the Prabhupada says you can. He says the only qualification is that one carry out devotional service and full Krishna consciousness. So Prabhupada's making the point very, very emphatically here and in the previous verse that one can attain perfection even without studying the books and even without hearing much from the Guru, without taking advantage of the books. He makes that point quite, but it's indisputable that Prabhupada's making that point. So why should we hear from the Guru and read the books? Not all those people are, not, not everyone's like those people. <laughs> some, some people require something to Okay, some people require more. And Prabhupada would sometimes say that. He'd say, you can just gain perfection through chanting Hare Krishna, but if you like philosophy, you can read all our books. Sometimes he would say that. Yes, other thoughts? I can only try. Uh, when you say Krishna, being Krishna consciousness, that means you have to understand what you're doing. Mm. So the consciousness comes through knowledge, which can be through reason. This is a very nice point. If we look at chapters 3, 4, and 5, where Krishna talks about working for him, doing karma yoga, and then he says you have to do this with knowledge, he then gives knowledge in chapter 4 about who he is, and then in chapter 5 he goes back to karma yoga, how to do karma yoga in that knowledge. So working in full Krishna consciousness without hearing from the scriptures and without hearing from the guru is very difficult. It's certainly, as Prabhupada says, it is possible. Why? Where, is that, where will that knowledge come from? <coughs> from within. So that is certainly possible. It's not that it's not possible, but it's more difficult. Some other thoughts, yes? Okay, so we have an example of Gorakishore Dasbhavaji, who was illiterate. We have an example of the illiterate Ramana who was reading the Bhagavad Gita upside down. That's Chaitanya Mahaprabhu song. But his case is very interesting because although, now his case was circumstantial. It wasn't due to some bad habit or some attachment or some reluctance on his part. But his case is interesting because although he was unable to take advantage of the literatures, he was following the instructions of his guru with firm faith because his guru said, read Bhagavad Gita every day. And he said to his guru, I can't read. And his guru said, read it anyway. And most of us would think, well, what a bogus guru that is. He's not listening, you know. He's, he's, but the, his, his disciple didn't think like that. He thought, I told my guru I couldn't read. He told me to read it anyway. Okay, I'm just going to do it. And, you know, he was really struggling. He wasn't 100% literate, but, you know, he was trying to read the words. He was getting it wrong. He, but still, he was crying because he was in full Christian consciousness. Any other ideas about why we should... We really would like to encourage reading the books and taking advantage of the spiritual master. So we can learn and teach others. Yes, okay. Which certainly Sanjay Prabhupada wanted us to do. Other thoughts? Shri Prabhupada spent so much time writing these books so that we could read them. Prabhupada spent so much time, effort, energy, money producing these books, and he certainly desired us to read them. So we gain we're much more benefit by reading the books and hearing from Srila Prabhupada, just because it's possible to attain full Krishna consciousness and the full mercy of the Lord, even without that. Certainly we should take advantage of whatever help we can get. And Srila Prabhupada very much wanted us to read the books. There's many, many places where Prabhupada would say that if, if we're not regularly reading his books, we won't be able to remain steady. So, personally, I would take these sort of statements as it's possible. It's possible. 
there may be some exceptional cases where it's possible that Krishna is not constrained by any situation. Krishna consciousness is not constrained by any situation. And that one can become Krishna conscious by doing any of the nine processes of devotional service. However, we do have a recommended path. So that's the way I personally understand it. You know, better to do the full recommended path. Although if you if for some reason you don't, if you do do some sincere service in Krishna consciousness, Krishna will Yoga Kshema Baham Yaham, which is very much related to this verse. Okay, going on with the purport. The modern philosophers think that without discriminating, one cannot have pure knowledge. And our problem is going to a very different point. For them, this answer is given by the Supreme Lord. Those who are engaged in pure devotional service, even though they be without sufficient education and even without sufficient knowledge of the Vedic principles, are still helped by the Supreme God as stated in this verse. So here Prabhupada's counteracting the argument that in order to have spiritual knowledge you have to be a Vedic scholar. So Prabhupada's first argument is there's many great devotee philosophers. Second argument is even if you're not a philosopher, even if you don't study the books, Krishna consciousness itself will give you knowledge. So you're not sentimental. And even if you're not a Vedic scholar, Krishna will give you knowledge. Now going on to another point. The Lord tells Arjuna that basically there's no possibility of understanding the supreme truth, the absolute truth, the supreme personality of Godhead, simply by speculating. For the supreme truth is so great, it is not possible to understand him or to achieve him simply by making a mental effort. So this is in relation to the concept that it's Krishna who's enlivening us within the heart with knowledge. You may say, well, is there another way to do it? Could I get spiritual knowledge? No. No. It has to come from the Lord in the heart. Man can go on speculating for several millions of years, and if he is not devoted, if he is not a lover of the supreme truth, he will never understand Krishna or the supreme truth. What a wonderful sentence. We can spend a long time going into the details of this, to love the truth. To love the truth. In, in this world, we all love falsity. We're all lovers of falsity. We're all lovers of deceit and cheating. Conditioned souls are constantly trying to present themselves as something other than what they are, as better than what they are. They're trying to present what they're doing as better than what it is. People become so disturbed if you point out any fault in anything that someone's doing, even if you're a friend, even if you're pointing it out as a friend, or even if it's your job to point it out. We see this working in the schools. The teachers become so defensive if the principal finds some fault in them. Or the principals become so defensive if you find any fault in the teacher. No, everything's perfect. Everything's perfect. We saw this also as a teacher. If you ever tell a parent there's anything wrong with their child, people become so disturbed. Even at the slightest hint that maybe everything's not perfect. And the whole material world is designed in saying, everything's wonderful, everything's nice. Don't ask too many questions. Don't look into the truth. So here one promise that you have to be a lover of the supreme truth. So of course that can be taken in an esoteric rasa sense, that one must be in love with Krishna. And it can also be taken, Prabhupada's using this word, supreme truth, absolute truth. Krishna is a supreme truth. That one must want to know what is true. One must want to get beyond maya, that which is not. Only by devotional service is the supreme truth, Krishna, pleased, and by his inconceivable energy he can reveal himself to the heart of the pure devotees. The pure devotee always has Krishna within his heart, and with the presence of Krishna, who is just like the sun, the darkness of ignorance is at once dissipated. This is a special mercy rendered to the pure devotee, by Krishna. So this is how it's done. So far the principle has been described that Krishna gives knowledge. How does he do it? He does it just like the sun dissipates darkness as soon as the sun rises. And Krishna is like the sun in the heart. Of course now we may argue Krishna is in everyone's heart. Correct? 
It's one of the first things you learn in the Hare Krishna movement. Krishna is in everyone's heart. And I remember when we were teaching to the children, Maya Tatami Nam Sarvam Jagadagyakti Murtina Matsani Sarabhutani Najaham And Krishna is saying that by my unmanifested form, I pervade everything. Everything's in me, but I am not in them. We were discussing this verse, and then on the break, I heard two six year old children talking, and they said, Mother Irma said that Krishna's not in them, but I don't think that's right because he's in everyone's heart. I know he's in everyone's heart. <laughs> so, Krishna, if Krishna's in everyone's heart, why is he only lighting up the heart of the pure devotee? Why isn't he lighting up everyone else's heart? Because the land, well, exactly. Because they love Krishna. They want to see the light. If you're here, but someone doesn't want to see you, will you go see them? Will you force your way into their room? Maybe some people will do that. But generally, we don't do that. If I see some old friend, you are always seeing old friends in Vrindavan, the nature. Vrindavan's a crossroad for the Hare Krishna movement. If you see some old friend, and, oh, where are you staying? I'd like to come by. Oh, you know, I'm really busy. I don't think I have time. Sorry. So will you take a, a, a big log and knock down your door? And so Krishna's in the heart, but he's not exposing his light of knowledge to those who don't love him. So what is this ignorance that he's dispelling? described in this last paragraph of the purport. Due to the contamination of material association through many, many millions of births. Is that depressing? Many, many millions of births. I mean, just this one life seems really long. All the contamination we accumulate in this one life, and we've done this millions, many, many millions Due to the contamination of material association through many, many millions of births, one's heart is always covered with the dust of materialism. So we've been rolling in the dust of materialism for many, many millions of births. Must be pretty thick. Must be a lot thicker than those pigs down the road. They've only been rolling in the dust, you know, for a few hours or a few years. But when one engages in devotional service and constantly chants Hare Krishna, the dust quickly clears, and one is elevated to the platform of pure knowledge. So what are the two things Prabhupada saying here we should do? Chanting when? 24 hours constantly and engaging in devotional service. Then the dust quickly clears. The ultimate goal of Vishnu can be attained only by this chant and by devotional service and not by mental speculation or argument. So, of course, chanting is part of devotional service, but Shil Prabhupada's listing is to, by the chant and by devotional service. The purity, now Prabhupada's going on to another point here. The pure devotee does not have to worry about the material necessities of life. They said, why is Srila Prabhupada speaking about this here? The reason he's speaking about this here, and, and many of the other points in this purport, he's pulling this from the purports of Baladeva Jibhushana and Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, who relate this verse very strongly to 922, which I also had the good fortune of speaking on here in this room not too long ago. What is 922? How does 922 end? Yoga, Shema, Baham, Yaham. Yoga, Shema. So Krishna will take care of all of our yogas and our Shemas. All of our necessities. And that's explained both in terms of the material necessities and the spiritual necessities. And in this, we're commenting on this verse, Baladeva Jibhushana and Vishnu Chakravati Thakur said, this is how Krishna does it. How does he take care of the spiritual and material necessities? So that's why Shri Prabhupada is referring this here. The pure devotee does not have to worry about the material necessities of life. He need not be anxious because when he removes the darkness from his heart, everything is provided automatically by the Supreme Lord. 
who is pleased by the loving devotional service of the devotee. This is the essence of the teaching of the Bhagavad Gita. So this is also coming from the Acharyas. Baladeva Jibhushana specifically says that this part of the Bhagavad Gita is what he calls the womb of the Bhagavad Gita. These verses are exactly in the middle of Bhagavad Gita. And this, is, this verse concludes what we call the nutshell. You know, the nutshell is like a walnut, has a small shell. So nutshell verses, they can fit inside the nutshell, like the sutra, the essence, you know, the burfi. You take the milk and you gradually cook it down here, and burfi or para is the para verses. This is the essence of the teachings of Bhagavad Gita. By studying Bhagavad Gita, one can become a soul completely surrendered to the Supreme Lord and engage himself in pure devotional service. As the Lord takes charge, one becomes completely free from all kinds of materialistic endeavors. To show them special mercy, I dwelling in their heart, destroyed with the shining lamp of knowledge, the darkness born of ignorance. So my first question looking at this verse is why is this verse here at all? It seems that 1010 already has made the same point. I give them booty, I give them intelligence, those who are much those who are taking pleasure in talking about me. But we see in 1010 Krishna is explaining the principle. I give them knowledge. And 10.10, he's explaining, 10.11, he's explaining how. How does he do this knowledge? He gives this knowledge by shining in the heart. And this Atma Bhava Sta, very interesting. <coughs> the Prabhupada here translates Atma Bhava as within the heart. Bhava means emotion. It also just means existence. So even in Western culture, the heart is taken as the seat of emotion, or the seat of feeling. So Atma Bhava, the, the, the self of emotion, is the heart. But Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur translates Atma Bhava as the mind. And then start in the place. So it's explained very nicely by Baladeva Jibhushana that just like a bee, it stays within a lotus flower. Or sometimes you find, we used to find this in the gardens. I didn't have any lotus in my gardens. I had pumpkins. <laughs> and sometimes the bees would come in the pumpkin flowers at night, and then the flowers would close at night, and the bees were trapped in the flowers. So the same thing can happen with the lotuses that open during the day and close at night. That the bee is so involved in drinking the nectar, collecting the nectar from the flower, it doesn't notice that the flower is closed. So this is actually the analogy given, that Krishna is within the heart of the devotee, like within the lotus that's closed around him, that he's so engaged in drinking this nectar that he's there within the heart of the devotee. And he's staying there. He's not going anyplace else. What kind of devotee? Because we start our meditation to those. What devotee? This goes back, of course, to the previous verse. Satita yukta nam bhajacham priti purvakam priti, with love, with affection. Right? And Prabhupada's course in this purport, we're talking about one should be the lover of the absolute truth. Atma bhava, bhava means there's some feeling. Devotional service means that there's some feeling. Devotion is an emotion. Or we go back even before that to 10.9. They're getting some satisfaction. It's not mechanical. It's not, okay, I gotta hear about Krishna now. All right, let's see. How many more minutes do I gotta hear about Krishna? Not like that. Like people go to an ordinary school, it's often like that. Okay, class starts at 10.30 and ends a little bit, you know. Somehow it'll end at 11.40, and I'm looking at my watch the whole time. When is my teacher going to stop talking about kilograms and hexagrams and decigrams and grams and milliliters? And <laughs> when is the class going to be over so I can go play? Do you all remember that? 
maybe for some of us it wasn't too long ago. When is my teacher going to stop talking about all these things? You know, I was sitting in classes where does the federal government finance schools, or does the state government, or is it financed on a local level, or is it financed through property taxes or income taxes, and you're just looking at your clock? So not like that. Not that hearing about Krishna like that. When is the class going to be? When is my job going to be over? Oh wow, I've got my rounds down to you know four minutes and thirty seconds per round, so I can finish my rounds quickly and then you know do what I really want to do. No, not like that. And Vishnu Chakra says, just like a young boy and a young girl. So you see, when a young boy and a young girl first fall in love, of course they're not usually like this after 20 years, but when a young boy and a young girl first fall in love, they don't notice how time is passing. They just want to be with each other. Exactly like that. Of course, Rupa Goswami also prays like that. I want to love Krishna just like this natural love between young boy and young girl. Or I think of it also between the parents and a little baby. Where you just want to be, or even, you know, very good friends. If you have a very, very good friend, I had the fortune here in Vrindavan to spend time with a, a very dear friend who just left. And I was thinking very often, you know, when can I be with my friend? When can I be with my friend? And sometimes I'd stop by and I'd say, you know, I can only spend five minutes. And she'd say, okay. And then after an hour and a half, I was still there. And so this is when there's affection, when there's love. Then tushyantichara So those who are relating to Krishna like that, with, with pretty getting satisfaction, getting happiness. They're a lover of the truth. They love to talk about Krishna. They love, even if you don't want to hear the books, they love to serve Krishna. Something, there's some love there. They're doing some service with love, or they're hearing with love, or they're talking with love. Then that affection for Krishna is like sweet nectar in the heart. I mean, we're like this. If somebody genuinely loves us, we want to stay with them. It's natural. We want to stay with people who have affection for us. So, Robert says Krishna has all the propensities of a human being. He says this in many places, but particularly in the story of Jambalam, for Krishna fighting with Jambalam. So Krishna is always awesome. And how does he reciprocate with that? That he cleans away all of this dirt. We don't, we don't have to make a separate endeavor without any pain on our part. This is the essence of bhakti yoga. The essence of bhakti yoga is that I do some service for Krishna with love, with affection. I hear about Krishna with some affection, and Krishna takes care of everything else. We are not the Anartha Nivriti movement. We are not trying to get rid of our contamination by our own effort. In fact, we can't. That's not, we're not capable of doing that. The other kinds of yogis, those who are engaged in ordinary jnana, ordinary jnana, or karma yoga, they're trying to get rid of it by their own effort. We're not even thinking of our sadhana like that. We're not thinking, I'm going to be a very determined person. I'm going to go sit at Radhakund and chant 150 rounds, and by my chanting, I will burn off all the contamination, and then I will come to the truth. That's not the mentality of the devotee. The mentality of the devotee is just how wonderful Krishna is, how wonderful Krishna's devotees are. Let me do something. I was also thinking about this with my friend here. When you have some affection for someone, you naturally want to do something. It's not some kind of a rule. You know, when you don't have affection for someone, it becomes a rule. Oh, it's my great aunt's birthday, and I have to send her a present, or else my mother's going to call me and yell at me. And so I guess I have to do it. 
one last. So this is what attracts Krishna. This is what attracts Krishna. Not just external mechanical following. And that's something. That's better than nothing. Like Bhaktivinoda Thakuri says, if you if you want to attain to steadiness in chanting, first you have to have steadiness of quantity. It's not that you could just say, well, I won't chant 16 rounds, I'll just chant one mantra with affection, gradually I'll want to chant 16 rounds. It may start mechanically. That's okay. But that's not actual bhakti. It's not actual bhakti. Bhakti is with affection. So we should be doing something that will increase our affection. That will solve all of our problems. Whatever, even our material problems, as Prabhupada's saying here. Even our material necessities. That will solve the problems of, you know, I don't have enough money, I don't have a decent place to live, I don't don't like the clothes I have to wear, this person's mean to me, all of those problems. Yogic shame, Allah, If we just become attached to Krishna, that's all. That's the essence of Krishna consciousness. That's the essence of everything that we're doing. Thaladeva Jibhushan says that Krishna, he stays like a bee in the lotus of the heart for those who cannot maintain their lives without Krishna. You think, without Krishna, I can't live. Ordinary persons, I think, oh, without my wife, I can't live. Without my house, I can't live. Without my bank account, I can't live. Without my job, I can't live. Without my new kitchen appliance, I can't live. Whatever it is, you know. <laughs> but for one who thinks, I need Krishna. Without Krishna, I can't. When Krishna was enwrapped in the coils of Kaliya, all the residents of Vrindavan, they were thinking, we've invested everything in Krishna. Without Krishna, I cannot live. And then Krishna is the absolute truth. If the absolute truth is, is lighting up your heart, what else do you need? Then you see everything. You get clear vision what to do. Prabhupada says that depending on our receptivity, Krishna may become our direct advisor or Krishna may remain unknown. And everything in between, you know, everything from direct advisor to unknown. So generally we condition souls. We don't really want Krishna as our direct advisor. <laughs> We want our mind as the advisor. We take shelter of the mind, take shelter of the subtle body. We take shelter of our own intelligence. Unfortunately, our own intelligence and our own mind are very dirty. They're covered with how many bursts? Many millions. It's almost inconceivable, isn't it? So my own mind and intelligence is covered with many millions of births of dust. Now the dust here is divine, but still this is a dusty place, isn't it? When it gets a little warm and you start opening your windows, you have to clean your room at least once a day, if not two or three times a day. Can you imagine just millions and millions of births? Hundred millions and millions and millions and millions, how much dust would accumulate? When Indrajumna, the great king Indrajumna Maharaj, built the arranged for the temple to be built at Jagannath Puri, and then he went to invite Lord Burma, he came back and he couldn't see the temple anymore because it was covered under millions of bursts worth of dust. He didn't know where it existed. Like the archaeologists, you know, archaeology, right? They dig down. And that's not even millions of bursts. Just 2,000 years go by. So 2,000 years would be what? 20 bursts. So they have to dig down under 20 bursts worth of dust to find some ancient city. So ancient. You're walking. You know, you're walking. You don't even know that there's a whole city under the ground covered with just 20 bursts worth of dust. So just imagine many millions and millions of bursts worth of dust. And there might be this whole elegant city that you don't even know exists. So we take shelter of our mind and intelligence, but our mind and intelligence are covered with this you know, huge 
there's not even a strong enough pickaxe to get through the, like these guys digging up the street, you know. They just dig down about like maybe 20, 30 feet. Isn't it? Something like that? 10 meters, 15 meters. That's a pretty deep hole. But you have to go a lot deeper than that to get through many millions of bursts worth of dust. So we're taking shelter of this when we want knowledge, we want understanding, we take shelter of our subtle body, which is, you can't see it, you can't see the truth, it's all covered with this dust. So rather than devotees, they take shelter of Krishna. They become absorbed in Krishna, Tushanti Chara And as they become absorbed in Krishna, Priti become with this love, then Krishna lights up and then everything's gone immediately. All the dust is just immediately dissipated. And just like the, the sun comes up in the wintertime, it's foggy, and then the sun comes out and it's all, it's just gone immediately. You can see everything. So that's our business. That's the business of the Krishna consciousness movement, the Krishna consciousness movement. Somehow you've given me all verses to speak on that are on the same point, what to do. This is our, the purpose of everything that we're doing, whether it's eating prasadam or cooking prasadam, whether it's making garlands or wearing the deities' garlands, whether it's visiting holy places, whether it's helping devotees, whether it's washing our clothes, whether it's reading the books, this is our business. Priti with love. And to shanti charamanti to relish, to get great pleasure, great happiness and satisfaction from all of the service we are doing for and when Krishna sees that that isn't happening, then he's already in the heart, but he reveals his qualities. Prabhupada says here, by his inconceivable energy, the other Charis say, by his qualities, he manifests his qualities. And then we see things as they are. And as soon as we see things as they are, then everything becomes clear. And we have no more problems on any level. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions. Yes, of course. Can you pass the mic? And Ruben Puru, I have something to give you, so make sure. Yeah, I got it. Sure, I give that. Couple questions. One is on this last point. How do we how do we develop love while we're washing our clothes, relish and everything? How do we develop love for Krishna and relish while we're washing our clothes? Well, the first simple answer is, they're not our clothes. <laughs> I, I read an ethical question some time ago that if you work for a company that requires you to buy certain clothes in order to do your job, who has to pay for the clothes, you or the company? And the answer was, if those are clothes that you wouldn't wear except for doing your work, then the company has to pay for them. And if you can wear them in other places, then you have to pay for them. So we have these clothes so we can do our service. We're servants. Of course, in America, not very many people have servants anymore. But here in India, still many people have servants. Especially if you have live-in servants. You provide them with a place to stay. You provide them with clothes, or you provide them with the money to buy clothes. You provide them with food. And how can they do their service? They're not going to do their service if they're wearing dirty clothes. And especially, we're meant to be preachers. We're not meant to be Bhajananandi staying in the forest with torn, dirty clothes and matted hair and five-yard fingernails curved around. Robert said, first dress, then address. We see Prabhupada, especially at traveling as a preacher, Prabhupada always wanted to make sure that he really looked like a gentleman. Sri Kirti Prabhu said before Prabhupada would get off a plane, he would always go to the washroom, put on some fresh chilak, adjust his clothes, get out the flower garland he was wearing earlier and put it on and make sure that was dressed properly like a gentleman. So that's part of our service. We're all supposed to be representatives of Krishna. That's what the tilak and the kanti beads 
I am a servant of Krishna. Just like you, you know, you go to a certain company and people have on their uniforms and you can tell, oh, they work for, you know, Singapore Airlines or isn't it? They work for Walmart, they have their uniform on. You just imagine if you get on the airplane and the what do they call it now? The flight attendants. So if the flight attendants, if their uniform is dirty or ill-kept, it reflects badly on the company. Or the military, you know, they check and see if there's one spot of dust on your shoes. Everything has to be perfect. So because we have love for Srila Prabhupada, we have love for our Guru Maharaj, we have love for our whole disciple succession, we have love for Krishna, we have some affection for Krishna, so we want to represent them nicely. We want that when people see us, they're thinking, oh, there's a devotee of Krishna. And this is true everywhere. This is true whether you're, you know, in California, or whether you're in Belgium, or whether you're in the UK, or even if you're walking around with them. People are, are seeing, oh, here's somebody who's in the Hare Krishna movement, here's someone in Islam. I, I was kind I was on a uh, public rickshaw from Govardhan the other day and someone says to me what is your country I said America he said he said but you are worshipping you are you are accepting our what do you say our good it took me a long time for me to understand he was saying you're accepting our God it's like five minutes before I get understanding oh God so they're looking at me Oh, you're, you become a Vaishnava. You're worshiping Krishna. You're worshiping Radha. What kind of a person are you? So that's also there. How we how we keep our clothes, how we keep our hair, what we eat, where we go, what we do. Is that all right? Yeah. The next question. <laughs> <laughs> when. Prabhupada in the purport is talking about these many, many millions of births. The many millions of births. That's for the radio people. Yeah. Are those human births or just any births? I don't know. If it's animals, I mean, animals usually aren't so absorbed in materials and they're just following their, you know, total instincts. And they're not. I really don't know. But I do see that animals still get some contamination of material association through their birth. I wouldn't worry about breaking it down. I would worry about getting problems and something. But no, it's not. It's not. Problems not clear here. What's whether that includes animal births or demigod births or only human births? But we've certainly had a lot of them, whatever they are. And they've made us very dirty. Instead of having millions of baths, we've had millions of births. And we're just... <laughs> Unfortunately, the majority of our births have just added to our material contamination in one way or another. There's also what Prabhupada used to say, don't worry about where you came from, just worry about how to get out. How to get out. But I was talking about this because this relates back to the commentary of the Acharya. They're asking the question, this, it comes from Tamaha Nasiyam. Nas, nasha is to, Vinash, to destroy. So what is this Tamaha? This relating back, what is this ignorance that's being destroyed? What are we talking about? We're talking about an ignorance that we've accumulated for many, many millions of births. Or you can think of it like... Um, my daughter has one friend who never throws anything away. Uh, never. And so the house gets more and 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 more full of stuff. My daughter says when she goes there, there's a little space to walk between the piles of stuff. <coughs> Even every magazine they ever got in the mail, you know, every advertisement, because maybe I'll need this someday. You know, it's all in these... You feel really sorry for the relatives of that person when they die. <laughs> Maybe they just call it junk removal service. There, there was one story of a man who collected so many books 
that once when this Tristram. Then when he was in his library reading them, the books fell over and killed him. So it's something like that. We've been collecting all this material association and we're kind of buried under all this stuff that we've collected. Karna's Bundesangasya. Yes. Just to clarify this point now, um, it seems that you were saying that if we can find something in the Russian service that we really can do with enthusiasm and maybe uh, put our heart into it, then that kind of takes care of it, like it takes over from that? I didn't say it like that at all. Well, <laughs> okay. I know it was like thinking like that, but that's a very nice point. I appreciate the point. That, no, that wasn't what I was thinking or, or saying. But it was, it's a lovely point, thank you. I wonder, did that, is that corrected? But there are, there are always layers of meaning, so that's a, that's a wonderful understanding. I was doing it the other way. That whatever service you're doing, do with love. As far as then, what service you do, that's another discussion. That's going to come from your nature. Our physical, we have a physical nature that changes in our life. We had a different physical nature when we were three years old. We have a different physical nature when we're 83 years old. We have a different physical nature if we're male or female, if we're strong, if we're weak, if we're healthy, if we're sick. Or what is our mental nature? And it comes from the orders of the guru and the necessities that need to be done. So that's, if you're going to talk about what service one does other than what everybody does. So other than 16 hours, worshiping the deity, reading the books, washing your clothes, unless you have a servant to wash it. Anything else? Is that okay? Yes. Away from the subject, sovereign? Well, I don't know. Depends how far away we go. Where, where I come from, and we have a lot of schoolgirls who are smoking. Actually, it's a national problem. With schoolgirls who are smoking. That's more, more than the boys. Away from the subject. <laughs> more than the boys. So, how would you approach a girl who's smoking? How would I approach a girl who's smoking? Mm boy or girl who's smoking. Smoking is generally due to bad association. So it's not unrelated because Prabhupada's talking here about material association. So I have not yet met a person who decided to smoke through intelligent research. <laughs> it was, I've never, you know, it's not a logical decision. You don't go to the library, even on the internet. What would be a really fun thing to do that would really add to the quality of my life? and you come up with smoking tobacco. It's just, it's not like that. People smoke because of association, because their friends smoke. There's so much research to support that people smoke because their friends smoke. And even there's research to support, I mean, I can't believe this. People sometimes smoke because the friend of a friend. There's research that we even get fat because of what the friends of our friends do, even if we don't know them. They say that every person influences at least 1,000 persons. Whoa. Amazing. A lot of very interesting research. That our, our habits, what we eat, what we do, are affected by our association. And then, of course, the advertisements. Smoke and be attractive. Which is, of course, again, a completely illogical thing. People who smoke become unattractive. They smell bad, their teeth look bad. They get old faster, they get sick. But you know, there's all the advertisements of the beautiful women and beautiful men. You notice they're never smoking in the advertisements. Uh-huh. You notice that they never smoke. Sometimes they're holding a cigarette, but never smoking in the So that's the main reason. So then there has to be good association. I was reading specifically about giving up smoking and saying that, you know, if your friends smoke, it's almost impossible to give it up. You have to make friends with people who don't smoke. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, uh, one of my friends who smoked said, you know, when I'm with you, I never smoke. 
because you don't smoke. And as soon as I'm with my other friends and I start smoking. So, good association. And of course, purification, prasada, books, chanting, but mostly good association. Sarupa said one time that she gave up smoking because she realized that she had to always keep her hands busy. So every time she had this urge to smoke, she would just put her hand in the chair and start chanting. <laughs> and that's how she And that's how she stops smoking very nice. Okay, anything else? Yeah, I just wanted you. Uh, Can you bring the microphone back? I, think? <laughs> I thought that was a wonderful verse you quoted, and a wonderful verse. And I wanted to make a note of it. It starts out and says, The Lord is of my heart. That's from the commentary of, of um, that's Baldev Yudhushan commenting on this verse. That's his commentary. Um, and then, how, how, how does it go again? I have the English translation of it. I don't have the Sanskrit. That's okay. And I don't, I don't have it all here. I have it on my computer. But he says that, that this Atmabhava means that Krishna is a bumblebee who's entered into the lotus of the devotees' hearts. And he, he enters into the lotus of the devotees' hearts if they're full of affection for him. But that's what attracts him, to stay in the lotus. And then he stays in that lotus and from that position, he's giving the devotee transcendental knowledge. That was how he translated it and commented on this particular verse. Okay, thank you very much. All glories to Shri Prabhupada. All glories to Bhagavad Gita.